What's going on, ladies and gents? Robert Sykes, KetoSavage.com, and I've got the one, the only, Jimmy and Christine Moore on the line today. We're going to tag team this. We're going to talk about real food keto. We're going to talk about nutritional therapy. We're going to talk about a little bit of everything. How y'all doing? We're good. What's up, Keto Savage? What's happening? What's happening? I haven't had, I, I guess I had you on once before, Jimmy, but I've never had Christine on, so I'm excited to, to see where this takes us here. Christine is learning how to do this podcasting thing. We are, this is about number, what, Christine, maybe 19, 18, 19 interviews we've done for this book so far. And yeah, she's she's brilliant, man. You guys are about to be in for a real treat. with Chris. Everybody's tired of hearing me talk, so it's time to let the real more shine through. Well, nineteen podcasts you, in though. such a short time is is pretty pretty good way to get you know hit the ground running and learn pretty quick. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. It's a lot harder than it seems. So, kind of using that as a segue, talking about you know the book. What I mean, Jimmy, you've written like a jillion books, but what makes this one different? I know y'all you know writing it together for one, but just kind of the scope of it. How is this compared to the others, and how is this going to benefit the keto space? Yeah, and and that, that's a really good point because one of the questions I get often is why do we have so many keto books? Um, the the diet is diet, <laughs> so 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 what do you contribute in a new book that's not already out there? And especially at this point, you know, when I wrote Keto Clarity way back in 2013 was when I started writing it, and it came out 2014. You know, nobody had ever done that before, where they kind of put it all in one place and then layman's language, and so. That book was just the first of many that would come, and most of the ones that have come out since then tend to be cookbooks. There's mm-hmm. a few sciencey books, for the, but for the most part, they're mostly cookbooks. And so nobody's really taking a lot of the principles of keto and then adding to that knowledge that we shared in my book, Keto Clarity. So with Real Food Keto, Christine was going through this nutritional therapy practitioner program last year. And she started talking about prostaglandins and duodenums and cholecystokinin. And I'm, I don't know what any of these words mean. So <laughs> yet, as I was hearing her talk about them, um, it became clearer and clearer. This is stuff the keto community abundantly needs to hear. So when I pitched it to my publisher, hey, let's mix the best of nutritional therapy with a low-carb, moderate-protein, high-fat ketogenic diet and make a book about it, uh, they were all in on that. I like it. Yeah, I like it. And my, yeah, my goal in, in wanting to get the book out there is that you can have the most perfect diet, you can eat the most clean diet, and there are people out there that still struggle with their weight and, and their health. And this book kind of gives some answers as to why that may be going on, because it's not just about the food we put in our mouth, it's about your digestion, it's about your endocrine system, it's about detoxification all of these things play a part into how effectively we can lose weight or and or be healthy gotcha gotcha i, I feel rude here i um I, uh, I had jimmy kind of do an intro on the podcast with him but i haven't really had had you give me an intro and i think that would give a lot more context to the motivation behind the book uh so before we dive into the weeds of the book which i definitely want to do can you kind of bring me up to speed on your you know, history, Christine, and, and what got you here in the first place? Like, what, what got you in this space? And, I mean, let's just go way, way back here. Yeah, yeah. So I started out life having hard times. I was born three months early, and there was a lot of health things that came along with that. And I was two years old before my parents started noticing the first thing. So uh, they noticed that I wasn't focusing in on stuff. So they took me to the eye doctor. And it turns out I'm blind in my left eye from birth. The the doctors had to give me oxygen to keep me alive. So the oxygen tore the retina in my left eye. And the same thing started happening in my right eye. Um, But fortunately, you know, that didn't happen in my right eye as well. So. I was having eyesight issues then, maybe 10, 11 years old, I started having joint pain, lower back pain. They took me to the doctor. The doctors never really found anything wrong with it. And at this point, you know, my parents were doing what was recommended to for everybody to do, you know, eat, eat low-fat diet this, low-fat diet that. And so we weren't making the connection between our diets and what was going on with my health. In my early teens, 
I started developing really bad abdominal pain with my menstrual cycle. It wasn't until I was 30 that I was diagnosed with um, endometriosis. And then um, just a whole bunch of things happened. I started having mood disorders, suffered from anxiety and depression. Um, I developed shingles at the age of 30 because I was just really stressed out. It was a real stressful period in my life. And again, with all these things, not making the connection between the diet and uh, these other lifestyle things and what was going on with my health. In 2011, I got really serious about doing the ketogenic diet. We were going through embryo adoption at the time, and Jimmy had done a lot of interviews talking with various people about the importance of eating a good diet when um, during pregnancy. So he would he would go buy liver, cut it up, freeze it, put it in the freezer, and I would take it like a, a pill to get a lot of the nutrients in there. One thing that I noticed was about probably four months after I really started being faithful with keto, I went back to my eye doctor for an annual um, checkup, and for the first time in my life, my eyesight had actually gotten better. We, each time, each year, progressively getting worse, and this time, my eyesight actually got better, and that was just absolutely amazing because that had never happened before. Then, as time went on, I started noticing um, improvements in my joint pain, but just keto alone wasn't taking care of that. I had to go to a rheumatologist because rheumatoid arthritis runs on my mom's side of the family as far back as we can remember. And so I went to the rheumatologist. The first thing that he ran to his credit was my vitamin D. It came back at a horrible nine. I mean, Mm -hmm. it was just ridiculously low. So he immediately put me on a D2 supplement, but later we found out that's not the one you want to go on is D3. So we got on D3, and over time, I noticed my joint pain slowly going away. But I also noticed that my mood issues were starting to improve. I had taken yeah, anti- they were. <laughs> I had taken <laughs> antidepressants for 10 years, and all of a sudden, once I got my vitamin D up to where it needed to be, I was able to get off of those antidepressants, and I hadn't been on them since. It's a miracle. <laughs> <laughs> So, so, I mean, it's just absolutely amazing that the health benefits, I mean, they're, you know, I've, I've, I had to have a total hysterectomy because of the endometriosis thing and keto obviously helped, um, keep the inflammation down as much as possible. But in the end that it wasn't able to correct that problem because it had just progressed so bad. By the time you got to keto, you were so metabolically unhealthy with all the autoimmune things going on and gut health problems. And you, you just had a lot of issues and we don't talk about that a lot, Robert, in this community. Everybody likes the weight loss success story because you can see visually kind of before and after. But when you see someone like Christine, she never looked the part of someone that was unhealthy, but she was incredibly unhealthy on the inside. Yeah, yep. definitely. All the, all the stuff that I was dealing with, it was on the inside. You couldn't see it. So uh, somebody looking at me, you know, just walking down the street, oh, she's healthy. No, I wasn't. She was 90 pounds when I met her <laughs> and, and 95 pounds soaking wet when we got married. And and just to kind of put, I'm trying to figure this time frame out. Uh, so you started keto in 2011, you said, Christine? Yes. And yes. then when did you start, Jimmy? Yeah, so, uh, well, I did the low-carb Atkins diet starting in 2004, and then I got very serious about keto probably around the same time Christine was uh, uh, dibble-dabbling in it when we got pregnant with twins. Uh, we both wanted to make sure we were there for our kids, which never happened. But and then, That's a different story. Yeah, and and then when did y'all uh when did y'all meet? Well, way did back we here. meet? Um, <laughs> yeah. Oh gosh. And and where did we yeah, meet? What did... was our very first date? So our first date was McDonald's. McDonald's. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to figure out it this keto right power couple. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? So yeah, our first date was at McDonald's, and I I think I was 21 when we got married you were 22 when we've been right. married 23 years august 5th 1995 i won't forget it i'm one of the, those guys <laughs> brownie points to you yeah yeah impressive impressive so yeah uh, the the keto couples starting out at mcdonald's <laughs> yeah so learn that robert don't forget your uh wedding yeah. day with crystal you yeah know? yeah i won't i won't forget that one will forever be ensconced yeah, exactly. she's gonna have it like tattooed on your butt or something. <laughs> <laughs> probably she won't let me live it down if i forget 
So so y'all y'all get married and then y'all are at McDonald's, you know, and y'all are pretty much just living a, an unhealthy life, not eating anything correctly until 2004, somewhat for you, Jimmy, and then 2011 is when you hit it hard with keto. So up until then, from the time you were yes. married until then, you were just kind of like a roller coaster with nutrition. Oh. Well, and Christine was always trying to help me with my weight. When we got married, I was 300 pounds, and I, I was already showing the signs of metabolic damage. And, of course, I got there from many years of eating crappy garbage that I learned as a kid, uh, a lot of kind of uh, um, social issues that went on with my dad beat me, and so I was always looking over my shoulder and had emotional things to work through. But I worked through them by the end of my 20s, and and that's when I was ready to really try to get serious. Um, but I was medicating with food for a very long time. Um, and so for Christine, she was watching me get bigger and bigger and bigger. And she'd always get upset. Oh, you need to eat more salad and raw vegetables because we know that that's how you can lose weight. And so she kind of bought into the whole low fat mantra. And of course, I was having nothing of that, Robert. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So so when you started Atkins, what were you thinking at that time, Christine? You thought he was just kind of crazy because that's you know, basically very minimal carbs, a lot more than keto, but still not, not near as much as, you know, the modern, (laughs) modern day diet. Yeah. Um, actually I was really thrilled that he was going to do something. And actually it was my mother that gave him Dr. Atkins new diet revolution for Christmas. So she had been working on him too, um, over the years. Oh yeah. One year she's like, um, here's Dr. Phil's book. Today can be a changing day in your life. I'm, no, it's another low-fat diet. No thanks. Yeah. Mm. So I, I was absolutely thrilled that he was going to try something else, and I so bad wanted it to work because he had tried so many other things. Well, and it was unlike anything I'd ever done before because I was reading this book and going, this guy's whacked. But, man, if it's true that you can eat more fat and you can eat less carbohydrate and still be full of energy and feel good and st- still get to eat bacon and steak and eggs and all that stuff. Um, I'm in. <laughs> so, so you started seeing pretty substantial results with that, you know, when you started that. And then, Christine, did you kind of like jump into that foray as well? Did you play around with Atkins at all or did you pretty much just hold off and continue what you were doing until you started keto in 2011? Again, yeah, again, I didn't really have a weight issue, so I didn't see that I had a problem. Mm-hmm. It was – I was just looking in on the outside, so – um, I was still eating my M&M Skittles, Dr. Pepper, that sort of thing. She'd um, say, uh, okay, I know you're eating that low-carb, high-fat thing, but go get me some Dr. Pepper and M&M's. Really? I got to go buy M&M's again? Don't you know that's rat poison, honey? <laughs> I was sitting there trying to teach her that this was also impacting her health, but it wasn't until... It wasn't until I went to the doctor dun, dun, dun. in uh, 2009, I think it was, and... He ran my blood work, and my triglycerides were almost 300. 300. And wow. so I brought my test results home to Jimmy, and he looks at me, and he goes, you know what to do. Neener, neener, you need to go on low carb <laughs> is what I said. So all I did was I stopped e- eating the M&M Skittles and Dr. Pepper. My triglycerides in six weeks went from almost 300 to 135 or 136, just, just eliminating those three things. Huge drop. So at that point— I saw a big difference, but again, at this point, I wasn't seeing really the health benefits because I wasn't really that serious. I was still eating a lot of crappy garbage. And you weren't tying all the kind of minor, at that time, health issues you were dealing with um, to this either. Right, exactly. So I, I still didn't see that I had a problem other than my triglycerides. I really didn't understand everything that would happen in the body and as going going through the nutritional therapy practitioner program you know i i learned so much about exactly what happens in the body when you do have a, a crappy diet so for me just watching jimmy um keep doing what he he was doing and then when we got pregnant um that's when, okay, I, I've got to get serious about things. We ended up losing the twins probably due to some genetic things that I wasn't aware of when we were pregnant. I have the MTHFR gene mutation, so I was taking folic acid to help prevent birth defects, but it wasn't doing me any good because my body didn't know what to do with it. Mm-hmm. So we were thinking um, that along with the endometriosis caused us to lose the twins, but I still 
in during that time, I saw so many health benefits that I just kept on. She got the buy-in, Dr. Robert. Yep. <laughs> yep. See, that, that that's crazy. I, I mean, I don't know. I look at, uh, you know, what brings people to keto, kind of what keeps them there. It's just all, everybody's story is, you know, different. But I don't know, like, y'all have had, like, such a huge impact on so many people's lives. So it's cool to get the behind the scenes on, on why you're doing what you're doing, you know? Yeah, thank you. Thank you for asking. Absolutely. So, so going into nutritional therapy, like what was the, the motivation for doing that? I guess, you know, Jimmy's just rock star in all the keto space and then you're mm-hmm. seeing how much this has impacted you and that's kind of given you momentum and, and motivation to, to dive deeper or kind of walk me through that. Well, what happened was is Jimmy got the invitation to go through the program. He got an invitation to have a scholarship to go through the program. And I was like, really? I do five podcasts a week and I have five books under contract. I yeah. was like, really? Yeah. Really? So he asked them, well, can my wife go through it? And so they said, sure. And he presented the idea to me. And I'd been wanting to go back to school for a while. I just didn't know what for. I'm interested in geology. I love to collect rocks and minerals. So I'm like, well, maybe I'll do something with that. But when this opportunity came along, I'm like, wow, I could do this and, you know, maybe develop my own voice. And so going through the program, I just learned so much about bioindividuality, and I learned that it's not just about the diet. It's not about the food that we put in our mouth 100%. Yes, that's very important, and it's important to eat real food, but other things can be off, and you still not be healthy. So I wanted to, you know, as I, I as I kept going through the program, I'm like, this information has got to get out there because so many people are struggling and and discouraged because they're not seeing the results that they need to see. They're not, their health is not optimal. So after I graduated, Jimmy um, approached his publisher and asked them uh, if we could write this book and they were, they were all for it. So we signed the contract on December 19th of last year. And we started the actual book writing process in, well, I did in, I think uh, late January, early February. And so my role in it was just a brain dump to get everything down there. And Jimmy would come behind me and do what he does best and kind of makes it understandable for the 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 average person. Because mm-hmm. a lot of what I was covering in the book was like really, really deep stuff. And, and so Jimmy does a fabulous job at interpreting it. And so in, in the first part of the book, he was heavy in writing that aspect because that was his wheelhouse. We talk about why, why the keto diet. We talk a little bit about the um, history of how we, how we came to fear fat. I, I went in and talked a little bit about the Weston A. Price Foundation that, and him going around to these traditional cultures and observing them to see what their diet was like. We talk about Francis Pottinger and his study of the 900 cats. Part three is where we kind of got hot and heavy into these principles of the Nutritional Therapy Association. And it was just an interesting process when he was sitting at my computer. Honey, can you come explain this to me? And so I, eventually I just sat my butt down on the floor and just stayed there until he had another question. Well, if she used English the first time, I could have figured it out. <laughs> <laughs> See, this, I, lo- I love this. Like mm. nutritional therapy to me, I've had, um, I've had Jessica Ty and Jeffrey Hugeman on the, on the podcast, and they're both nutritional therapists. And they, I love it because they, they dive so much deeper than, than just what meets the eye at first glance. So let, let's, let's dive into the weeds here. What are some of the things that you learned that are lesser known but have a huge impact? And just, just kind of take us through some of the big pillars of nutritional therapy and and things to watch out for. Yeah, so we have what's called the foundations and then the consequences. Foundations encompass digestion, blood sugar, balance, mineral balance, fatty acid, and then hydration. If if those things are in order, then all the consequences, like you get into your cardiovascular system, your endocrine system, your immune system, all of those things will likely come in line so the first thing that I look at, there's two things that I look at with each client. First and foremost, it's their digestion and it's their blood sugar. What's what's their blood sugar doing and how's their digestion functioning? The big thing that I just came away with with the program is just, it's amazing. 
the how the digestive system works and what can throw it off. I mean, digestion starts as soon as in the brain. You smell something, the brain sends the signal to the salivary glands to produce salivary amylase. The mouth is where the carbohydrates are. Um, the beginning of the digestion starts there. The, the proteins um, are mostly digested in the stomach and the fats are mostly di uh, digested in the duodenum. So you start out in a stressed state, your brain's not going to send that signal to the salivary glands to produce the salivary amylase, and it's going to mess up your stomach acid production, and everything just gets out of whack. So uh, it's really important to know how your digestion is working, because you're not going to be able to absorb and digest your, your foods properly if your digestion is off. And, and frankly, one... one um, one thing that we learned going through the program is 90% of the population is actually deficient in stomach acid for various reasons. And so you have these people suffering from heartburn or acid reflux. They go to the doctor. The doctor prescribes a proton pump inhibitor. And that's just making things worse. The doctor doesn't test. Okay, let me see what their stomach is actually doing. And there's a test you can do for that, the Heidelberg gastrotelemetry test. And people need to ask their doctor to run this before they start on a proton pump inhibitor because if they take Nexium or Prilosec, they're just making things worse. The, these undigested foods are going to go, they're first of all going to sit in the stomach longer than they should. Here's what happens with acid reflux. The food sits in the stomach too long and then over time it weakens the cardiac sphincter. The food goes back up into the esophagus and even though the stomach contents are acidic. They're, even though it's not acidic enough, it's still too acidic for the esophagus and it burns the esophagus. So that's the story behind most cases of acid reflux there. But once these the contents of the stomach empties into the duodenum uh, and to the rest of the digestive tract, you have irritation in the intestinal wall. Now we all have a certain amount of permeability in the intestinal tract, but these undigested foods, especially proteins, will cause irritation in the intestinal lining. Undigested protein particles will get into the blood, and over time, the body, um, after attacking these foreign particles, will start to confuse normal healthy tissue with these particles because they look very similar, and that's what leads to autoimmune conditions. So... Oh, digestion is one thing that really I, I kind of attached myself to because it's still, to this day, something that I struggle with. Mm -hmm. I, I take digestive enzymes because I don't have a gallbladder. And I started to take hydrochloric acid supplementation, but that's when I discovered that I still had a few ulcers in my stomach that I needed to deal with. I needed to heal those first before I can start on the hydrochloric acid supplementation. Um, so yeah, digestion was a big thing. And then we get into hot and heavy and blood sugar regulation. Now we talk a lot about blood sugar regulation in, in the keto world a lot, but we get into really specifics on things that can impact blood sugar, stress, lack of sleep, all these things that we don't even think about, um, we get into that in the blood sugar regulation. In the endocrine system, that's uh, chapter 12, I think, um, we talk about the different hormones and how those are all interconnected. If our blood sugar is not under control, then the pancreas and the liver are going to be stressed out. So the adrenal glands will have to step in and start producing cortisol and epinephrine to kind of help regulate blood sugar. Well, pregnenolone is a precursor to your sex hormones, aldosterone and cortisol. So the the adrenal glands will take, um, the it'll prioritize the production of cortisol over your sex hormones. So the pregnenolone that would have gone to the production of your sex hormones will be now be going to cortisol to help deal with your blood sugar. Um, so any chance of regulating your hormones, it just won't happen until you get your blood sugar under control. And then we even get into 
detoxification and the nutrients that are needed for phase one and phase two detoxification. And we talk about all the things that um, are needed as far as fat goes to help keep the bile moving. I mean, it's just so much information that's not talked about a lot. And if all of these systems are messed up, then you're not going to be healthy. Yeah, and see, that's that's what very few people, I think, really hone in on. They just look at, they put a blanket statement over, you know, just eat good food, and, and they don't dive deeper, like, to their specific needs. Um, mm-hmm. in, in the sense of a blanket statement, though, just for the average, you know, human, what would be the best way to mitigate any of these uh, these negative, you know, adverse effects? Just focusing on the whole foods and getting a variety of those foods, or is there anything specific? Yeah, I would say, yeah, I would definitely say... If you're eating a crappy garbage diet, get your diet right first, because if you're still eating crap, you're not going to be able to fix anything. So real whole foods is definitely the first and foremost thing that I would tell my clients to do. And I would also make some lifestyle recommendations. But yeah, if we can get if we can just get it through our head that a lot of this food in grocery stores is not food. And so it's, as Jimmy has said before, it's so sad that we have to put a caveat between or before food and call it real food. I mean, it's just food. Mm-hmm. So but most of what passes for food isn't real food. That's why you have to. Put yeah, the exactly. It's sad that we have to do that. So real whole foods is definitely a good start that will help fix some issues. Um, and that's why I start with digestion and blood sugar regulation first with my clients. Is there like any specific foods um, that that are often that I don't know, like you got carnivore, for instance, you know, they're totally bypassing a lot of these vegetables. Is Mm -hmm. is that going to have a a pretty prominent impact on, you know, from like a nutritional therapy standpoint, are they going to be deficient in anything just like glaring at you? There's different opinions out there. For me, I see carnivore as maybe a therapeutic thing for a period of time. And it's, we all have bio-individuality, and so what one diet does to one person necessarily won't do it to another. So for me, I may not be good with carnivore. I may need those leafy green vegetables to help feed my gut my, uh, my gut microbiome. Um, so for me, carnivore uh, personally would be a short-term temporary thing as a therapeutic measure. I believe that green leafy vegetables have their place. They, um, as I said, help feed the gut microbiome, in my opinion. And so if you don't have these things, then depending on the person, their gut health might suffer. Um, And the same with high-protein diets. My concern with high-protein diets is that you need adequate stomach acid to digest proteins and as I said before 90% of the population is deficient in stomach acid so these undigested proteins are going to wreak havoc on your system now you need protein to be able to digest protein so you have your amino acids your polypeptides then those things stimulate gastrin in the stomach and then the gastrin stimulates HCL production and then HCL production stimulates pepsin pepsin is what digests the proteins but if you are insufficient in stomach acid, again, like I said before, you're not going to digest these proteins. So you have to know where your digestion is if you're going to do these high-protein diets. Did you say to drink a Pepsi to make your digestion? What, what was that? Pep, pep, oh, Pepsin. No, that's, that's another whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> but no, Pepsin. But see, that high-protein thing is very relevant to what you talk about all the time, Robert. Um, how many of your bodybuilding friends that are still doing that you know, traditional bodybuilder diet and maybe – they're not digesting those um, proteins very well because they don't have enough stomach acid. That's why they start running into trouble. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think the largest argument in favor of high protein is because protein has a, a greater thermic effect of food, so it basically requires more calories to, to burn protein. But, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a mute point, basically, if you don't have the stomach acid to do so. Um, d- do you notice okay. that with an increase in protein consumption – your, your body responds by increasing stomach acid, or is there no, like, relationship there? Does your body not kind of adapt as needed? It's a complicated situation because it's, you don't just need the amino acids to produce the stomach acid. You need certain micronutrients like B6 and zinc. You... Um, 
for those that drink a lot of carbonated beverages, and that, yes, that includes the carbonated waters. Even Pellegrino. Yeah, even Pellegrino. The process that it has to go through to become carbonated, these drinks um, have phosphoric acid in them, and that interferes with stomach acid production and your body's ability to absorb and use calcium. So it's not just the proteins. You've got to look at your micronutrients as well to see if you are deficient in these. And this is why everything is so interconnected. If one thing gets off, everything is going to get off. And that's why it is so important that we kind of get this message out there that if somebody's struggling, this can be a starting point for them to say, okay, well, maybe I need to look at this. Maybe I need to cut out my carbonated water. Maybe I need to you know, try to get better sleep. We get into a little bit of the sleep thing in here. So it's just so complicated. Sometimes it's hard to know where to start. But again, if I start with digestion and blood sugar, that's a great starting point for me with with my clients because that will oftentimes regulate some of these other things. You just broke my heart. I did not know there was anything wrong with the lime-infused carbonated water. (laughs) I hate that. (laughs) Sorry. I'm not saying to not consume them but just make sure the preponderance of what you drink is just you can have flavored water just just it's better if it's not carbonated welcome back to the keto buzzkill podcast <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, Sorry. I, it, it's kind of fascinating because you look at all the like the keto desserts and foods and treats and stuff out there and and i mean honestly like the macros work sometimes but that's kind of a stretch in itself but i mean it all goes back to like if it sounds too good to be true, it is too good to be true, and and you, know, you can't beat real food. Right. Yeah, I I agree, and and even these Jimmy and I, we use certain products out there, but we look at the label to make sure that they're on the up and up. We do a lot of traveling, and so we'd rather be prepared, and so we like these drop and f bomb nut butters. We like for Paleo Valley meat sticks. Um, there are peely nuts. It's, it comes in a package, but it's real food. It's it, They're nuts. So, um, I, hope, I hope Keto Brick is in that list. We understand. Oh, that definitely <laughs> yeah. qualifies as a real food snack. Yeah. Yes, okay, Keto good. Brick. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, we're in there. Good, good, good. Yeah. Well, so so, so what, we, what does your diet look like? Like, what does your day of eating look like? I'm curious, you know, with what you know and you're applying, you know, in your, mm-hmm. in your eating, mm-hmm. like, walk us through, like, a typical day of eating for you. It's really never a typical day because some days I will eat two meals a day. Others, I will only eat one meal a day. So just I'm listening to my body to see when I'm hungry. And some days she just totally forgets to eat and goes, you know, I guess we could have something to eat eat now like at the end of the day. (laughs) So she just fasts all day just naturally. But here's here's what I would eat. Uh, Some sort of good protein. And then for me... I do not respond well to starchy carbs. And for some people, that's fine. They they do fine with them. My blood sugar goes up almost into diabetic range when I have a sweet potato or cassava flour or something like that. So I know I can't have that. So I will, I love salads. So mm-hmm. I will eat a lot of salads. I like um broccoli, cauliflower, all any of my vegetables that would be like a side dish to my meat, I see as a conduit for fat. I was going to say, how do you get the fat in with all those vegetables? Yeah, I mean, well, and yeah, just put the butter on it or... Um, Boom. Yeah, that that's that's what I like to do. And, you know, for my meat, um, I like to maybe either put sour cream on top or some sort of fat. Um, and then if we do any type of sweet thing typically it will be some sort of low glycemic berry mixed with heavy cream and maybe a couple of pieces of dark chocolate and that's really rare yeah and this we typically will do that when if we go to europe we've been to europe and australia they have double cream over Mm -hmm. there that stuff is the bomb it's so wonderful so typically that's when we'll have those type of things because there's so much fat in that stuff. Robert, have you ever had double cream? Have you gone to another country? Uh, I have, but not. I never had double cream there. I've had those triple cream yogurts, but I don't know if that qualifies. Yeah, well, it's it's a a that's a, a playoff of what we're talking about. It's just pure. You know how we have heavy whipping cream here in America, mm-hmm. and it's basically glorified milk. Um, over there, you literally can turn it upside down, and it comes out just 
ooey goo. It actually it's, just stays there. It it's doesn't fall awesome. out. Well, it does eventually fall out, but yeah, it's so good, dude. We used to I get go, these to gallons Australia of milk, and Europe. you'd have to stir it up like they. It, it would never be pasteurized, so we get these these glass jars of milk, and it'd be just like yes. ultra ultra thick, and it was just so much better flavor profile. Yeah, and, and oh yeah, flavor and and quality of fat profile as well. Mm-hmm. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. So that's what that's what it would look like for me. Is there any preference to like you know white meat versus red meat versus fish? Like, are you trying to get a variety there, or do you have a you gravitate towards one or the other? Yeah, we. I like to get a variety because, as Jimmy found out, um, when was it? This earlier this year last or last year. last year? Eating the same foods over and over again, you can develop a sensitivity towards it. And we have 26 backyard chickens now, and so they produce wonderful, wonderful eggs. And so Jimmy was eating them every day, every single day. And he had a a food allergy test done, and egg white food sensitivity foods. Test. Is, there is a difference, yeah. Food sensitivity test done, and it showed that egg yolks and egg whites were five times higher than what they should be on the sensitivity range. And, of course, those can be manipulated by what you're eating, Mm -hmm. but it was quite telling. That was the only one that was, like, that high. Well, and that's why I said you like monolithic eating, as you put it, and so— I could eat the same thing every day. Yeah. I Mm -hmm. think that's a dude thing, uh, Robert. Yeah, yeah, definitely. (laughs) Definitely. That's why I kind of like to mix it up. I love salmon, so we know that's that's good. Got some good omega threes in there. I kind of stay away from the chicken breast unless I know I'm going to be able to add a good amount Ew, of fat to who it. Who eats chicken breast anymore? I will go to the dark meat, and then preferably. So my my favorite choices would either be salmon or a good fatty steak. Gotcha. gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> you can't go wrong there by any means. What what about dairy? Like, nope. is there any um you know. Because I've, I've dived deep with dairy on with several oh. different people, and some people are pro-dairy, some people are against dairy, some people say it's totally an individualized basis. I've heard that it's largely genetic. I, I, I don't know. I've currently phased out dairy just to see how my body responds, but do you have a take on dairy from a nutritional therapist standpoint? So, yeah, dairy is very highly individualized. I know when I was dealing with all of my health issues and I had really high inflammation in my body, I had problems with dairy, and still to this day, I have somewhat of a problem with dairy. I find that if I go over a certain amount, then I will start to develop the psoriasis on the back of the scalp. Right, her autoimmune flares up. Mm. Yeah, and my blood sugar will elevate a little bit. So I know my limits now, so I I just stick with the raw dairy. We live in South Carolina, so we have access to raw dairy. Um, But some people can't handle the proteins at all. They have true allergies to the dairy there are sensitivities and there are allergies and allergy is defined as anything uh problems with anything protein based a sensitivity can be towards any type of food uh, that's it doesn't have to be protein based did you just drop some knowledge i did (laughs) i just just learned something i didn't know that yeah so for me dairy in small amounts is fine and there's if, a, a week ago, there was this big uproar online about milk being included on that. And some people can actually, I can handle milk in small amounts. You have to test and see um, what works for you. There were there was an argument that, that milk wasn't for a ketogenic diet. And again, it's highly individualized. I think for me, I do better with goat's milk. Well, low-fat milk is definitely a no for right. every keto diet. Right. If you're going to do it full fat, if you don't have right. access to raw dairy, then use whole milk. If you have access to raw milk, that's even better. Um, again, I respond better with goat's milk. So there are certain milks that people can respond to better. Um but, yeah, it's highly individualized, so you have to test and see what works for you. Gotcha, gotcha. I haven't had, I haven't had good milk in so long. If, if anybody prefers, like, skim milk over a full-fat milk, they, they need psychological help more so than nutritional help. But, they need their head examined. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. What about uh, artificial sweetener? Do you all dive into that much uh, going through the nutritional therapy schooling? Is that a pretty big topic there? Because there seems to be this huge debate uh, as to what, is good, what's not good, what's acceptable, what has an effect or has no effect. And the deeper I dive into artificial sweeteners and, and even natural sweeteners, uh, like I had a podcast the other day and they brought to my attention that stevia 
uh, can have a pretty profound effect on estrogen. So I, I don't know the extent to which that is true, but I'm I'm, I'm curious to dive into anything uh, that you may know there. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't, I've never heard of that either, so I'll have to do a little bit of research on it. But obviously there are certain sweeteners that we like to stay away from, like the aspartame, the xylitol can be harmful to pets, so we like to stay away from that one. The, the um, What other ones? The maltitol, that's not good. Um, Jimmy and I like to use Swerve, which is um, erythritol. We mm-hmm. find that for us that that's... Um, not an issue. There are certain sweeteners that um, will actually um, mess with insulin production. And I think aspartame, is that the one that... Uh, well, ACE-K is the one that's especially that's insulogenic. Right. Yeah, Dr. Adam Nally and I wrote a book called The Keto Cure earlier this year, and we had a whole primer in that book all about sweeteners. And yeah, he said ACE-K, they're putting it in there. Uh, it's not a primary sweetener in anything, but what they do is they mix it with aspartame to like enhance the sweetness. And, and of course people are none the wiser what it's doing to their insulin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. It blows my mind so, that people just look at the nutritional label, you know, just the proteins, fats, carbs, they don't yep. dive into the actual ingredient list. And I almost look at that right. before anything else. Oh, that's the first thing I always look at now. Yeah, you have to, because a lot of these artificial sweeteners, especially if they come in the little packets, they have a bulking agent in it um, maltodextrin is that what it is jimmy mm-hmm. so um and and that will raise your blood sugar you you put several packets of that in your coffee and you have multiple cups of coffee you're adding up the carbs right there so if we do any sweetener it's the the um the swerve or sometimes we'll use liquid stevia mm-hmm. um so we just like to stick with those two what about uh, what about alcohol? Um, I don't really drink alcohol. I have an occasional <laughs> glass of wine every once in a blue moon. But what what's the uh, what's the skinny on alcohol from a nutritional therapist standpoint? Like diving deep into that, what's actually happening within the body? So alcohol is considered a diuretic, and so if you have eight ounces of alcohol, it actually pulls eight to twelve ounces of fluid out of your body. So you need to drink more water to compensate for that. But alcohol also has another effect on the stomach lining. It's, it shrinks those, um, the, the pumps that actually produce the hydrochloric acid. So if you're drinking alcohol, you're going to be likely not squirting out enough of hydrochloric acid to digest your food properly. Those are the two main things that I see. Again, some people have problems with alcohol. It affects their blood sugar because alcohol, um, your body has to deal with the carbs in the alcohol first before it does anything else. Mm-hmm. So for some people, it's an issue. Others can have a glass or two of wine and it not affect them in a negative way. But again, those two things, it being a diuretic and interfering with stomach acid production um, are the two main things that I would say to be wary of if you're drinking it. Oh, but let's get into something that uh, Robert and Crystal drink every morning at 7 a.m. on camera. They love their coffee, so Mm -hmm. that's also problematic. Why? It is, and I'm not saying to stay away from it totally, but coffee is also a diuretic, and so it's very easy to get dehydrated if you're having a lot of coffee and not having enough water to supplement with it. So proper hydration, I tell my clients to take their body weight divided by two, and that's the amount of ounces that they should have of water a day, but not to exceed uh, uh, one gallon. If you have these diuretics, then you need to add a little bit of extra water, but still don't exceed the one gallon because you'll develop an, an electrolyte imbalance. So it's a, it's a, you walk a fine line with with drinking these things, and and caffeine for some people can also cause blood sugar spikes if your liver is stressed. For me, if I drink caffeinated coffee, just even a little bit, I start to shake. I get jittery. Oh, I know, and I accidentally get you the wrong coffee. Yeah. So, and that's a sign that my detoxification pathways are not clear. It's stressing my liver having to deal with that caffeine. So, again, bio-individuality, some people can handle it, others you, others can't. You have to listen to your body, but it, it, that's also a diuretic. 
You be you be proud of me. I've actually uh, cut my caffeine intake considerably, and I switched to a, a decaf coffee. And I'm, I'm since I'm not having the heavy cream in the coffee since I've cut dairy. I mean, having a coffee is just not near as <laughs> not near as satisfying as it used to be. So I've pretty much cut that down drastically. You not like as coconut well. milk? Not not so much, man. Not in the coffee. Not not near like the like I like the heavy cream in there. It's totally different ballgame. <laughs> but that. so, it does. so it I'm does. drinking I'm drinking my decaf <laughs> coffee with uh with almond milk now. But then I'm having you know my lime infused sparkling water. So I'm just striking out on all accounts here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> like I said, the keto buzzkill podcast. <laughs> I guess I guess you truly just can't beat a good glass of water. I mean, it's it's no no carbonation, no flavor infusion, no ace K or anything like that. Just just simply a glass of water. You can't go wrong. Well, and we do a whole chapter on that in Real Food Keto uh, because I think people devalue water. They kind of throw it aside as, okay, yeah, I'll drink. And they don't think about that they need just pure, unadulterated water. And to think of it kind of like a macronutrient. So we always talk about get your macros in, macronutrient ratios, which I'm not a fan of when it comes to the diet. But you got to get your obligate amount of water in just as important as restricting your carbs, moderating your protein, and eating more fat. So we did a whole chapter on that in chapter seven. Yeah, absolutely. And with water, I mean, I get so many clients that are just so uptight about, you know, weight fluctuations of, you know, less than a pound even on a 24-hour basis. And and so much of, I mean, all of that's tied to water uh, retention or loss of. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, if, you, yep. if you're staying hydrated consistently, you're on top of your electrolytes, your sodium, potassium, magnesium, your water is going to be at a much more level baseline. You're not going to see near as much crazy fluctuations and people would just not stress near as much and make my life easier. Right. right. Exactly. You're absolutely right. So, so what are some other, uh, other key points or any that, that you, that jump out at you that people, especially in the keto space, I mean, somebody that's not familiar with keto at all, they, all this is going to be Greek to them. Uh, but, but people that are pretty well versed with keto that haven't really mm-hmm. dove as deep into, uh, you know, the traditional therapy side of things and then what their nutrition is truly doing to them internally. Uh, what, what are some just, actionable mm-hmm. takeaways that you would suggest so the i didn't hit on the detoxification yet and our, our detoxification system needs uh micronutrients so your phase one needs b2 b3 magnesium and an enzyme that the adrenal glands produce called cytochrome p450 your phase two detoxification needs your amino acids like uh, glutathione methionine uh, cysteine, glycine, and sulfate, but also our detoxification system needs healthy flowing bile. Fat is what stokes bile production. So as a ketogenic dieter, is absolutely imperative that we need to be having enough fat and we need to be absorbing uh, and, and using those fats in a healthy way. Toxins are removed from the body through the bile, uh, through feces and urine. If somebody's detoxification pathways are compromised, they may hold on to a little bit of extra weight. And sweat. Yeah, and sweat, thank you. So um, as a ketogenic dieter, it's absolutely important that we need to know that we're digesting and using our fats properly. So again, that goes back to our digestive system. And one thing... I guess one other important thing that we like to talk about in this book that is so often talked about online, you have these people that argue back and forth, well, you need to eat 100% grass-fed, grass-finished beef all the time. You need to do organic free-range eggs, organic vegetables. If If you're not doing this, then you're failing at keto. That's just simply not true. Our goal is to get there, but not everybody is in a situation where they can afford these foods. Starting out, it can be a little bit more expensive. What they'll find over time is that these more nutrient-dense foods will feed their body, and so they won't get as hungry as often. They'll end up spending less money. But we understand that people come from different walks of life, and so you make the best choices that you can with what you have. And if that's hamburger patties, if that's ground beef from the grocery store, so be it. Just do what you can and make the healthiest choices for where you're at in, in your life. Mic drop. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I so that, that's a big, agree. We talk about that. 
Yeah, I think, yeah, I think about that's progress and not perfection. Yeah, absolutely. I think so many people use, you know, keto as an expensive diet uh, simply just as an excuse. I mean, you can mm-hmm. I actually made a video with Crystal on this a couple months back, but we went to Walmart and we we spent I don't know, like 70 bucks I think, and we got all like really good quality stuff at Walmart for an entire week's worth of food for me eating I think 3,000 4,000 calories at that time. So I mean, you can wow. you can make whatever you have work for you, and you just have to just yeah. put forth the effort, and that's that's the main thing. You know, put forth the effort, take the time to learn about this stuff, take the time to see how you can apply it in your own life, and and what tools you can use and incorporate to to make it work in the most efficient way possible. That's mm-hmm. absolutely paramount. I totally agree. So, um, just do your research, and it it I know it takes time to. Get used to doing it, but the more you do it, the more second nature it will become. So just be patient with yourself and and try not to pay attention to, you know, these arguments online of what is good. What just just because something works for one person doesn't make it good for somebody else. And again, we go back to the bio individuality and testing for yourself to see how you do. So it you're you're taking your health back into your own hands and doing the research for you. Don't rely on somebody else telling you how to do something. Completely agree. Completely agree. And I'm excited that, that this book is a like summation of a lot of the things you've learned in a pretty digestible format so people who haven't gone through the schooling can can apply it, you know, in their life pretty much directly. I mean that's that's just a powerful tool in itself. Without digestive enzymes you can digest it. <laughs> yeah. Exactly, exactly. I knew I knew something witty was coming from Jimmy. <laughs> Yeah. Or right. smart alecky or yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I live with that twenty four seven. Well, very that's a full time. And job. you love it. <laughs> <laughs> well, where where can people where can people go to, to grab the book themselves or find out more about y'all? Yes. So we have a website for the book, realfoodketo.com. And then I have a website, rebootingyournutrition.com. You can write to me there and, and I'll respond with the prices of my services and what all is involved with that. I'm also on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And Jimmy, you can easily find Jimmy anywhere. Yeah, you Google my name, you find the first three pages is all my stuff. But livinlavidalowcarb.com is where I'm found. Beautiful, beautiful. I will certainly link out to all those, make it easy for people to find you. And I've, I've got a copy of the book myself, so I'm going to be diving in and seeing what I can learn as well. Well, wait until the audiobook comes out, Robert. Uh, Christine and I were in the studio for a little bit and recorded that. She thought it was going to be an easy process, but uh, she quickly found out reading your own book is not as easy as it looks. <laughs> um, no, it's not. Uh, that's that's awesome that you're doing audio, though. Like I, I try and get most of my books on Audible. Uh, because then I could I could listen to it when I'm training or driving. That's that's the way to go for sure. So I commend y'all for putting it in so, audio format. Thank you. Yeah, the uh, the last year my audiobook sales have quadrupled. Really? So definitely more and more people are using it as a commuting time passer. Uh, they listen to podcasts like yours and mine, but they're also listening to audiobooks. So yeah, it's a it's a big deal. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to dive into that. I got, I got plans to write a book in the near future, so it'll be in the works for sure. We'll get you on our show when that happens. Awesome, awesome. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure, Jimmy and Christine. I appreciate the time jumping on here and talking to me about the book and everything else you got going on. So we'll definitely be in touch because I'm, I'm sure I'm gonna have some questions as I start diving into it. Yeah, we appreciate you having us on. Yeah, thanks, Robert. Absolutely. Y'all have a good one.